This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Just about recovered, I think, from a mental final day, mate. Obviously, you were at the den So God knows how you feel. I was watching it all unfold at home and I think I'm slowly recovering. It was peak championship drama at its very best, wasn't it? I have not recovered. (laughs) I had a 13-hour day yesterday travelling from my house in South Yorkshire to the den and back. I was up at half past five with my baby watching the EFL highlights. And now I'm sat here at half past nine recording with you. It has been quite an emotional roller coaster in the last 24 hours. But that is the championship. I cannot. I still cannot believe what I witnessed yesterday, and it's very peak Blackburn Rovers. To none of it have mattered either. But I'm really looking forward to getting through all this. Got so much to talk about, and we've got playoffs to look forward to as well. Bloody hell, the, the playoffs are going to start this weekend. So no rest for the wicked. No time to take a pause for breath just yet. Loads to get through on this week's podcast. Massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They give a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod242. And we're going to get through the drama on the final day as the, the final relegation spot was sealed. And, of course... Sunderland muscled their way into the Championship top six. George, it's probably best that we do start with Sunderland at Deepdale because it was them that emerged victorious on final day. They will be playing Luton Town in the first Championship playoff at the Stadium of Light. They beat Preston North End 3-0. Sunderland needed to win and hope that Millwall did not, and obviously as we'll come on to at half-time, that, that wasn't the case at all. But Sunderland got their job done. In fact, Sunderland weren't even winning at half-time, were they? Three second-half goals in such a short period of time, coupled with Millwall's capitulation against Rovers. And Tony Mowbray has led Sunderland into the top six in their first season back in the Championship. And I just want to pay homage to Tony Mowbray and the job he's done first and foremost, because what he's done with that squad is... Nothing short of remarkable, really, when you consider coming in on the back of such a, a popular head coach, leaving in such a, a traumatic way. When you consider the sheer amount of injuries, I do genuinely believe every football club will point to injuries. Like Injuries happen. Everyone gets bad luck with injuries. Sunderland have had the worst injuries in the Championship this season. They haven't had their number one striker fit for all season, basically. They've had their... Probably their biggest money signing in the summer, Dan Ballard's been missing for large portions of the season. Danny Bart was injured, has been injured for the rest of the season. They've got no fit centre-halves. They went to West Brom in a massive game recently, came from behind to win 2-1 with a back three of Trey Hume, a young fullback, Luco Nine, who plays here, there and everywhere, the, the Swiss Army knife, but certainly not a, you know, a centre-back and by trade, although he's played there a lot, but certainly not the only sort of recognised centre-back in a back three, which he was. And Dennis Serkin, who has played on the left of a back three before, but is another diminutive full-back. So that was probably the smallest back three in terms of height that, that has ever been fielded in the Championship. 
and the job they've done has been sensational. Tony Mowbray has, has done such a good job at nurturing the young talent in this Sunderland squad and something he did very well at Blackburn when, when you consider his five years there, bringing through young players and when you consider the, the leaps and bounds that the likes of Ahmad, who's has been phenomenal for them this season, of course scored the opening goal, a sensational curling strike into the top corner to break the deadlock. Jack Clark's had his best season at championship level since he broke onto the scene with Leeds. He got the third goal. Patrick Roberts, not a young player anymore, but still a, a precocious talent that hasn't really hit his true ceiling, it feels like. But he's got certainly got closer and been more consistent to that this season. Dan Neal in midfield, Luco nine, as I say. Anthony Patterson's got admirers from above the championship. This is a Sunderland squad packed with exciting talent, but they've had no real blend of experience to go with it. Probably you would say along, outside Danny Bart, who's been fit for most of the season. Corey Evans has been out injured. They've, they've, Mowbray's just done such a good job to somehow galvanise this group. And if you told me when they conceded in the 95th minute against Hull City, that penalty that Sunderland would then go on to get sixth place on the final day, I would have been astounded when you considered the, the age of this group, the setbacks they've had time and time and again with injuries. Tony Mowbray has done an absolutely phenomenal job with Sunderland, no matter what happens from this point onwards. Without a doubt, he is, for me, a legitimate candidate, you know, even though we've already had the official awards night for manager of the season, obviously Vincent Company scooped that, but for what Tony Mowbray has done in his, his own right, he he's another worthy winner. It's remarkable, like you've said, for all the reasons you've outlined there, the injury issues, the age of the squad, you know, not a lot of experience at this level for many of those players. It's just unbelievable. They were in League One for four or five years and exactly a year ago today, as we record this, they were beating Sheffield Wednesday in the second leg of their League One playoff semi-final to get to Wembley for the League One playoff final. In 12 months, they've stormed straight up the championship table and now are in with a chance of being three games away from the Premier League. It's it's quite a fairy tale, to be quite honest with you. It's remarkable the job that Tony Mowbray's done. You know, you mentioned it, the upheaval of losing Alex Neil, what, three, four games into the season to Stoke City. Then obviously Tony Mowbray came in, you know, it was a bit stuttery at the start, but you know, they've, they've plugged away and they've got some really good results along the way this season. And, you know, for the most part, Sunderland this year, they've been in games. And that's the thing. I think you, you look back, they lost 5-1 to Stoke City on the 4th of March. And you look at that and you thought, probably going to be a stretch too far for this Sunderland side now. They've lost one game since then. And that was at home to Sheffield United, which there's no disgrace in. But I think for all of the reasons you mentioned there, Ahmad, Jack Clark, Patrick Roberts, they're match winners. They're really, really good footballers at this level. Ahmad's goal on, on on Monday was just sensational. And we've seen him do it quite a few times this season. He he is absolutely blessed with trickery, blessed with prosper, you know, prospect and promise. Patrick Roberts, you said, a little bit older, but blessed with brilliant technique. So I think Tony Mowbray's moulded this all together and built a really good, stable team that, you know, has got a little bit of experience at the back. You mentioned Danny Bart there, but you know, from front to back, there is youth everywhere, isn't there? Anthony Patterson in goal, he's been excellent. He's played his part. And then Ahmad, Joe Gelhart up front. But I think the biggest thing is the fact that they've done this without Ross Stewart. Because as soon as he got injured for the second time in January in the FA Cup game at Fulham, Sunderland fans were thinking, 
where are the goals going to come from? You know, we've, and he's beaten Ellis Sims in January. Yeah, of course. He went back to Everton, didn't he? I actually forgot about him. But Jack, um, Ross Stewart obviously has been a major, you know, a major hole left in this team. But others have stepped up. Ahmad's consistently stepped up. 13 goals for him this season now in the league alone. Jack Clark, 11 in all competitions, 9 in the league, 11 assists, 20 goal contributions for him. Really good return for a player that obviously had to drop back into League One with Sunderland last season to find his way again. But he's been terrific. So I honestly think Sunderland, obviously they're going to be buoyed from getting into the playoff positions on the final day in such dramatic circumstances. They're going to play Luton, obviously two legs, Stadium of Light first, Kenilworth Road in the second leg. I think if Sunderland can make the most of that home leg, I can see Sunderland getting to Wembley. I really fancy him. I think they're going to have real momentum about them. You know the Stadium of Light will be packed out on Saturday tea time. Luton, obviously, going to be a very tough nut to crack. I think they finished the season 14 league games unbeaten. Very, very impressive record. Very tough team to beat. Went to Sunderland not long ago and got... Well, they should have won that game if you think back to the penalty decision that Sunderland kind of bought towards the end. So it should be quite an even, even contest with two good teams going at it. But Sunderland, can you imagine the confidence they will have got from sneaking on the final day in the manner that they did? Absolutely remarkable. What, whatever happens from here on in, Tony Mowbray has done an astounding job this season. He really has. And I believe they're the first team since Brentford in 2014-15 to have come up from League One and then got into the Championship playoffs the, exact, the next season. So that's, you know, that's testament to the job they've done. And like I say, to have done it without Ross Stewart is a remarkable effort. So fair play to Sunderland. They, they've snuck in by the you know the barest of margins, but well done to them. They fully deserve it. And you know when you look at their results in recent weeks, that the form book doesn't lie. They, they've got there by merit. So well done to them. They're a good team to watch as well. They score good they goals. Are. Don't they? They, they, they're they capable, really do. spectacular. They're capable of scoring great team goals. I mean, they scored the best goal in the championship this season with that remarkable team move at Reading, which somehow Brian Barca nominated. I don't think for the EFL goal of the season and. They've also got that grit and that that nastiness at the back with with play, you know characters like 09, Lyndon Gooch, those sort of players, Danny Bar- Ballard. They can mix it as well as play lovely football with the diminutive attackers they've got. And Sunderland, the squad's full of assets. You know, I really feel positive about the future, even if they don't get up this season. It's full of assets. They'll lose Ahmad, of course they will, but they own the rest of the players. So yes, they might cash in on one or two here and there, but they can reinvest that money and they can go and build and. The future is bright for Sunderland, whatever happens in the next few weeks. The reason they're in the playoffs, George, is because Millwall capitulated. They were 3-1 up at half-time at the Den against Blackburn Rovers, heading into the playoffs. And somehow, Rovers' second-half comeback saw them win at 4-3. Of course, this was a match I attended live, covering for Blackburn Rovers. Millwall battered Rovers for the first 20 minutes. They could have been 2 or 3 nil up. Duncan Watmore put them ahead. And every time it went in the Rovers' box, it looked like they were going to score. Rovers didn't deal with the nerves of the occasion very well at all. Millwall were right up for it. Really, really good atmosphere at the Den. I have to say it was an intimidating place to play football as an opposition player. They were right up for it. And the game sort of hinged on on two moments, really. Adam Wharton's equaliser completely shifted the, the swing of momentum because Rovers had been second best, hadn't really strung any passes forward. Um, in the match. Wharton dips inside, curls into the bottom corner for one all. And Rovers were in complete control after that moment. They, they dominated the ball until an absolute calamity at the back. Their own corner. They don't win the first first ball. Oliver breaks. 
it's a bit of a nothing ball over the top. And then Pickering and Pears conspire, defensive mix-up. We've all seen it. Defender heads it over the goalkeeper. Watmore runs round 2-1. That's happened a few times with Ainsley Pears. Now, obviously, I couldn't hear from where we were sat in terms of whether there was a shout or not. The suggestions I've had from people watching at home is that it was clear that Pears did shout. But this has happened a few occasions. There was one at Huddersfield where Hayden Carter headed it past him, albeit it didn't result in a goal. There was a similar one against uh, against Hull City, I think it was, where Hyam did the same. So this has been a little bit of a recurring theme since Pez has been in goal. And then obviously Wharton gives it away and Burke smashes it into the bottom corner for 3-1. Rovers are down and out. They obviously had to win at Millwall to stand a chance. And you think that's the end of the of the playoff race and their season. End to second half. Joe Rankin Costello, 3-2. Ben Brereton Diaz curls into the top corner, 3-3. And as Millwall are pushing to get themselves in front, the nerves had started setting in at 3-2, if I'm honest, inside the stadium. And then as Millwall pushed forward, Tyler Bury, good shot, well saved by pairs. Rovers break. It's a good ball into Smodix. Low cross. Ben Brereton Diaz with a tapping at the back post. Blackburn win 4-3. Um, we interviewed one of the Blackburn Rose players after the game and he told us that it wasn't until Brereton Diaz scored for 4-3 they knew they weren't getting in the playoffs because obviously Rose needed to win anyway so it was irrelevant but once they went ahead they were celebrating and asked the away end and the away end were putting thumbs down to suggest that Sunderland were already 3-0 up obviously at Preston so it didn't matter. In the end Rose have missed out on goal difference they just haven't scored enough goals when you you, you look at the crux of why they've missed out it's it's obvious they're, they're, they're like the 15th best scoring team in the championship that's where the issue's been they've created so many chances in 2023 and not put the ball in the back of the net their xg you know there was a lot of narrative about blackburn's xg at the start of the season and and rightly so they weren't creating chances they were clinical in front of goal well they've become a so much better team the evolution from the start of the month's in the season to now. They're chalk and cheese. They're a really good team now. Yes, they're lacking some inconsistency, but they're a very, very young squad. Outside of Sunderland, I would probably argue they're the next youngest squad in the in the group when you consider who the spine of the team contains. But not signing that strike in January is what has ultimately cost them. And they've missed out on goal difference, which is pretty agonising. The, the, the positive is there are things to build on for next season. It's been a Massive overachievement by Yondar Thomason this season in the transition year to get them as close as he did. But they've got to go and back him and get him a number nine in the summer now. They're going to lose Brereton Diaz. It's been, I mean, we've all known for a long time he was leaving. We reported it on Lance Live in January that he'd signed for Villarreal. And that was officially confirmed by the club. So they've got to replace a 16-goal forward. Bradley Dack is out of contract as well, although the club have the option of a further 12 months. I would lean more likely that he will be leaving too at this moment in time. So they've got a lot of goals they've got to replace in the squad, but they've got a lot of good young players they can build around as well. So the future's bright. The, the biggest asset for me, and we spoke about this with Mark Robbins, I think Yondar Thompson has proven he's Blackburn Rovers' biggest asset right now. And with a few links starting to emerge to Feyenoord, to Leeds United, they need to back him and keep hold of him for next season. That That's the biggest aim for Blackburn Rovers. Yeah, I would fully agree with that, without a doubt. I mean, as agonising as it is, and you know, it probably doesn't comfort too many Blackburn fans this morning. And the you know the disappointment of missing out on goal difference it is a gut wrenching conclusion to a you know a very good season. 
And obviously, people are going to talk about the, the late drama, aren't they, recently against the likes of Coventry and Preston. If they'd seen those games through, they'd, they'd have been extending their season by a couple more games at the very least. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, what a good season they've had. Like you've said there, transitional year, new manager, a very young set of players, and they've managed to finish a very respectable seventh place. You know, they in the end, they did actually win more games than Coventry and Sunderland. Obviously, it didn't count for anything in the end. But the most games they they've won since they were relegated from the Premier League, and it's the closest they've come in terms of points to getting yeah. in the top six since they were relegated from the Premier League. I'll also mm-hmm. just reel off my bonkers stat, which I, I realised I forgot to mention. Um, <laughs> Blackburn Rovers have not won a game from 2-0 down since 2005, and that was in the Cup. So God knows how much further you'd have to go back for a league victory but yeah 2005 an 18 year record broken on the final day of the season and it didn't matter that is very peak Blackburn Rovers yeah it was a little bit gut-wrenching that one wasn't it but you know like I said Blackburn this season they've exceeded all expectations I don't think any of us would have expected them to to knock on the playoff door as much as they did they were obviously in the top six for you know a lot of the season they were you know amongst the likes of Middlesbrough Luton for a while Coventry and they just fell short at the end, which is very unlucky. And it would have been quite a story if they got in there with a minus goal difference. That would have been uh, one to go and research, wouldn't it? See if anybody else had ever done that before. I wouldn't wouldn't have thought anybody had. But like you said, Yondal Thomason, Huddersfield was zero, weren't they? I'm sure Huddersfield was zero when they went up. Possibly. That was 16-17, wasn't it? Yeah, there was zero. It was. Oh, no, it was minus two, actually. So they would have equaled it. Oh, it was okay. minus two. I've just had a look. So, yeah, um, Blackburn, like you've said, obviously the, the, the object this summer now is to get a, a top-class number nine through the door. Brereton Diaz, as you've said there, is, he's going to move on. It was announced last night, Sunday, Monday evening, that he's going to depart when his contract expires, which we've all known for ages, let's be honest. So that's where the objective lies in terms of Blackburn's recruitment this summer, first and foremost, getting that new striker through the door. But Yondal Thomason, I think, has done enough this season to prove that he's the man for the job. He's come in, transitional year, his first season in English football in management, and he's done a very good job. Yes, there's been some disappointing results. There have been several bumps on the road. We're never going to forget that mental start to the season where we never thought they were going to draw a game again. They end up drawing nine eventually. And, you know, I think we've seen enough from Blackburn to show that there is potential within that group. Yes, some mistakes have been made at times, but... You learn from those errors. And Blackburn, like you said, have got a young team, you know, like the, the likes of Wharton, Pickering, Ranking, Costello. They're all up and coming players. They are going to get better over time and they will take a great amount of experience from what they've experienced this year. You know, they're going to learn a hell of a lot. So I think Yondal Thomason will go to the board this summer, provided funds are there, and say, look, this is what we need. I've managed to do this in the first year against all the odds. Back me. Just give me a little bit of help and let's see if we can take that next step and mount a genuine expected top six charge this season. Because let's be honest, this season, nobody expected them to do what they have done. No. And had they have snuck in on the final day, which it could have been possible if Sunderland had not won, they would have been in they there. their job in the end. They did. They did do what they had to do. And, you know, there's so many little moments. And, you know, fans of all the clubs who have missed out will be saying this, but for Blackburn, you think back to Coventry, Preston, Sammy Smodic hitting the bar late on against Luton last it's week. The Preston one for me. I think there's some poetic it's... justice about the fact that, in, in, in my mind, their seat, their fate has been sealed at Preston twice, both in the late yeah. equaliser themselves and then Sunderland it's... going to win at Deepdale. It's a good way of looking at it, isn't it? But, you know, like I've said, 
they've had a good season overall, as disappointing as Blackburn fans are probably feeling this morning, gutted that their season isn't extended by at least two more matches. They've done incredibly well to mount a top six charge in the way they did against all odds. New manager, young, youthful squad. And without, like you said, a, a potent number nine for much of the season, they've, they've done well. They can be proud of their efforts, that's for sure. And they certainly can say they gave it everything they got. So for the summer, like I said, they've got to get a striker through the door, one or two other bits and pieces. And let's see where they are, you know, start a pre-season and see what we think next season is going to shape up for them. But overall, a solid effort. And I think one, one Yondal Thompson and his players, once the dust settled in a few days' time, they can look back on with a great deal of pride. Where do you go from this if you're Millwall? 3-1 up at home. Lock yourself you know, in a cupboard for a few weeks. The, the opposition are on the canvas and you've literally thrown it away. Yeah. What does Gary Rowe do and say from this point? To be honest, I don't know. I really don't. I, I you know, I, I saw the scenes at the Den after the full-time whistle on the TV yesterday afternoon. Looking at those players, they looked absolutely destroyed. Like their insides had been ripped out. They didn't know where to look, where to turn. And like you say, for Gary Rowett, how does he pick his players up from this? This is the thing. How does he pick them up to go again? Because we've waxed lyrical about them so much in the last few weeks, saying about it's the best squad he's had. They've got some really individual, talented individuals now. You know, Fleming and Bradshaw have enjoyed excellent campaigns. And it almost feels as though now they got that close, literally within inches of getting over the line for it to all be ripped away in 45 minutes on a on a dramatic final day with so many twists and turns. I mean, we've not even mentioned that, obviously, West Brom yet. They were in sixth at one point. They actually did get in there at one stage. Well, but you've Millwall jumped ahead. Had... So we may as well do it now then. <laughs> they were in the uh, driving West seat, Brom Millwall, and they blew it. Yeah, they did. West, West Brom were the final piece of the puzzle. and They went to Swansea, led twice, but lost 3-2 in the end. Just a step too far for the baggies. Who, are, if, if I'm being honest... I, thought, I fancied them at the start of the international break. I think when we did our predictions, I said that it would be, I think I went for Blackburn and West Brom would get in. So neither, neither Coventry or Sunderland at the, when, when we were at the international break about eight weeks ago. But the away form's just not been good enough. And, and, and they've not convinced me really. They've had opportunities and they've just, they've just not quite been good enough. They've missed having a proper number nine throughout the season. That's where they will look back and be regretful. Um, Daryl DK's just not been reliable enough fitness-wise. Brandon Thompson-Santi got injured as well. And the problems in the away form started to seep into the home form a little bit as well. They weren't as reliable at home either. Draws against Millwall, losing when one nil up against Sunderland. That, that's, that was probably the real turning point in their season at the back end. Led twice here, ended up losing it in the end, which was irrelevant. They wouldn't have made the playoffs anyway. But a massive, massive summer for West Bromwich Albion because of all the uncertainty off the field financially. I think it's the first time since 2000-ish that they haven't had parachute payments in some way in the Championship. If I've been in the Premier League or they've had, they've you know, generally bounced back. So it's the first time they've gone through this for a long time. They're going to have to rebuild the squad. And Carlos Corbran's certainly the right man to try and mould the squad together. He did it with you know, very little finance available at Huddersfield. But you do wor- worry that whatever he's trying to do could be undermined by the problems that are off the field and, and are going to hit harder now that they don't have any sort of financial support from their previous time in the Premier League. 
Yeah, big summer for them, like it is for several other clubs coming up. So I think West Brom, I think they were, you know, even though they did sneak into sixth for a few minutes, even if it was that on, on Monday, it was always going to be an uphill struggle for them to get in there. You know, they, they ended the season quite poorly, to be honest. They lost three of the last four in the end. So I don't think they can feel, you know, unjust that they didn't get in there. I don't think they deserve to get into the top six in the end. They they did stutter towards the finish line. Their results were very indifferent from from mid-March, really. They only won three games after beating Huddersfield 1-0 one, one on the 11th of March. They only went on to win another three. And like you said, it was the away form ultimately that ended up costing them, wasn't it? Because we, we were regularly praising them two, three months ago about their fortunes at the Hawthorns. They were relentless. They were beating everybody, keeping clean sheets for fun. And yet away from home, they were really struggling. I think the biggest thing for Carlos Cobra now, as you've already alluded to, is what direction is the club going to be able to take in regards to recruitment this this coming summer? Because obviously they relied relatively heavily on free transfers last summer, didn't they? With the likes of John Swift, Jed Wallace, obviously quality players for free transfers. I'm not, you know, not knocking those two. They've both had good seasons. They're very good players at this level. But when you break down the majority of West Brom's movement last summer, a lot of them were free deals. There was a few undisclosed fees in there, such as Jason Malumbi and, and Thomas Asante, for example. So it's all going to depend on what Carlos Corbin is going to be allowed to do. What can he do? But at the moment, when you look at that squad, there is the base of a decent team there to compete for at least the playoffs. It just depends of how much does Carlos Corbin potentially want to change. I think that's the, the, the really important factor in all of this is what's his vision once he's had a full summer to build his own team. Where does he want to take this West Bromwich Albion squad? So I think overall, I think it's the right outcome that they've not got into the playoff place. I don't think they deserved it. There was a period where it looks as though they were going to get in there. Like you said at the international break, you tipped them to get in there. And I've just gone back and checked those predictions that myself and you did at the international break in March for who we thought would get into the playoffs. And as ever, we were both wrong. So we yeah, claim to be experts. Brom and Rovers, I think. Yes, and I went for Blackburn. And I also went for Norwich as well, which now looks quite stupid. So neither of us have got a clue. We, we make out we do, but really we haven't got a clue. So why people bother listening to us, I don't know, to be fair. We are quite thick. But um, in all seriousness, West Brom, they just didn't do enough, did they? Simple as that. They did not do enough in the, in the latter weeks of the season. The only good thing I think they can take from it is that I think even though it didn't pan out the way they wanted in the end, I think the work Carlos Corbran has done since coming in has been a you know a lot more positive than negative. He's been a lot more, you know, more highs than lows in his tenure so far. So I think if they can get it right in the summer with the right players bringing in to suit his vision, maybe just reduce the age of the squad a little bit as well. There are a few aging players in that team now. I think there's no reason why they can't enjoy a good season next year. But keeping Daryl DK fit, that could be the key because we've seen what he's capable of at this level. When he was at Barnsley, when he, in the second half of this season, when he's been fit, we know what he can do. So he could be key to them next summer, next season. But I think overall, West Brom, they can't have any complaints. They didn't get in the top six. They didn't do enough to deserve it. And ultimately, they'll uh, like a few others. They'll have to go again. Yeah, Swansea finished the season well, which they'll be really pleased about. Um... Really good ending for them. Yeah, really good end to the season for them. Probably, got, probably oh, gutted it's ended with, you know, two or three more games and they might have actually snuck in there with the form they're in. Absolutely, but this has happened last season too when the pressure's off, Swansea start to play well. 
can they do it, you know, more sustained, more consistent at the start yeah. of the season? Can they not be undermined in the transfer market by their the, owners? Those the are big the questions thing. that we will uh, we'll ultimately find out. We'll just the wrap big up thing for the them. Hmm? I was just going to say the big thing for them now is can they keep hold of Joel Pirro? I think that's a big question for them this summer. Twenty goals, and I would argue he's not a quite the yeah. same impact. Another this year. twenty goals, though. Um, I'm sure there'll be some sniffing around, but if they can keep him, he's proven over two years now that they've got the goals in the team. So if they can maybe just build around him a little bit more, who knows? But a good, a good ending for Russell Martin, nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Middlesbrough drew one all with Coventry just to finish off the top six picture. Coventry finish fifth in the championship, and that was a. An interesting dress rehearsal for the playoff game that will soon follow. Let's turn our attention now to the bottom, George. Reading were relegated to League One in midweek after Huddersfield Town beat Sheffield United 1-0 on Thursday. Danny Ward scoring the winner, which meant this mouth-watering, decisive final day fixture that we'd had set up for so long had absolutely nothing riding on it. In the end, um, Reading made quite a lot of changes and Huddersfield ran out 2-0 winners meaning the Terriers finish nine points above the relegation zone, which is quite bonkers, really. They finished in, in, in 18th, which just sums up the job Neil Warnock's done there, which we'll, we'll come on to. But for Reading, ultimately, this has been a relegation that's been coming for a lot of years. It's the latest example of a club chasing the Premier League and getting their fingers burned after probably Sheffield Wednesday and Derby County, the biggest examples in recent time of overstretching um, getting points deductions for breaking financial fair play. And eventually it will catch up up with you. And feels like that's been happening with Reading for a long time now. And they've finally fallen through the trap door. It's going to be a really big summer for them. And League One's going to be really interesting because, you know, if Ipswich and Plymouth are up, if Sheffield Wednesday come up as well, who are probably the biggest club in, in League One, they're going to be replaced with Reading, Blackpool and Wigan. So with no disrespect, it's three giants coming up relatively and three smaller-ish size clubs going down. So that's going to be a more even playing field, but it's going to make the championship so strong next year in terms of the size of clubs in there, particularly when you think who might come down from the Premier League, if it's Southampton, maybe Forest, maybe Leicester, maybe Leeds, maybe Everton. You know, they're big clubs. Some big clubs there. Very big clubs. Some, some division next year to try and get out of. Um, but Reading, yeah, financial mismanagement, problems off the pitch have, have ultimately led to their relegation. Had they not had the points deduction, they'd have finished on 50 points and that would have seen them safe. Now, obviously, it doesn't quite work as simply as that because Cardiff have been on you know, the beach for the last two weeks having not needing any results. So it's not quite as simple as that. But for Reading, there's only so, so many times you can walk that tightrope and ultimately the owners have cost them because they gambled on, on trying to get into the Premier League. It didn't work. They spent that money really badly when you consider some of the players they bought. Sonia Luco for £7.5 seems to be the poster boy of that um, poor summer of transfers. They've lurched from one management team to another. They probably sacked Paul Ince a little bit too late. And in the end, you can't say they're unlucky to get relegated, really, because of, of how many times they've, they've, they've diced with danger over the last few few seasons. Yeah, I think you've summed it up perfectly, to be honest. They they have, you know, they've taken one too many risks. It's as simple as that. They gambled a hell of a lot of money on what turned out to be incredibly poor signings. They really were. You've mentioned Aluka there. You've mentioned others there. Pushkas didn't work out. He was another big money player. 
several others. Probably the, their only success story in the last few years has been Lucas Wout, to be fair. He's probably the only one that's gone in there and actually done anything. And obviously his contract's up in the summer. Highly unlikely that he'll stick around now they've gone down. But I do, you know, you, met, you mentioned the points deduction and you can't lie, the mathematics do clearly state that had that not have happened, they would have survived. Obviously, you've got a element in, as you said, Cardiff, you know, down in tools for a couple of weeks. But had that points deduction not come into effect and Cardiff finish on the points they've got now, Reading would have survived. So you do have to question Paul Ince, I think. They sacked him too late. It was evident for a while. Well, I say a while, it was evident for months that it just wasn't going to work out with him. And we go back to the very, very beginning of last season. And I said, didn't I, that I thought he'd be the first manager to get the boot in the championship this season. And it turned out to be one of the one of the last. So I was wrong on that score because, you know, in, in fairness to him, the start of the season, they actually started okay, didn't they? They were they were riding high in the first few weeks of the season. They had a decent start. I mean, they were third after the first twelve matches, which was unbelievable. But then they just absolutely tailed off. And in the end, they won two games this calendar year. Two games, that was it. And they were against Rotherham and Blackpool with no disrespect. So they've got what they deserved. And like you said, years of mismanagement, years of gambling has caught up with them and it's paid the price. And where they go from here, I really don't know. There's a massive, massive rebuild got to take place at at that football club this summer. There's rumours circulating that Chris Wilder is in line for the job. I'd be astounded if if he took that If that is true, I would be very surprised. But if it is true and he gets that job, a drop back into League One for him... It could be a good, you know, a good starting point for both parties That'd be to such rebuild. A coup, but equally, it like, would be Wilder's but... recent reputation of yeah, how he's it just goes under, to show that regimes. Do you really see that being a harmonious relationship? Well, it makes you ponder it, doesn't it? Obviously, we we don't know if those reports are accurate or not. We're only going off what we've read, but if it is correct and he does get that job, I would be very surprised. But it's a hell of an appointment if they do manage to pull it off. But. Who knows what the state of that squad is going to be in next season? That is the big question, isn't it? Who knows what that squad is going to look like come the first weekend of the League One season? Obviously, Joe Lumley, he's on loan from Middlesbrough, the goalkeeper. And Baba Rahman's on loan. Hendricks on loan. There's several others. Mamadou Loom's on loan. So many. You know, Lucas Rao's out of contract. Shane Long's out of contract, I believe. Tom Ince, is he going to stick around? It's had quite a good season, but is anybody going to pay a fee for him? It depends. 31, 31 years of age now. So it's going to be interesting. I think Yakumete's contract's up as well, Junior Hoylet. So there is a massive, massive rebuild to be done at that club. But if they get the house in order relatively quickly, sort things out, decide who's going to be staying, who's going to be going, and get that blank canvas set, ready for the start of pre-season, the beginning of the summer transfer window, and Chris Wilder, say, for example, is appointed, if they've got a blank canvas for him to start from a scratch, from a, a complete total reset, it could be a way to build back a lot better with him at the helm because we know what he's capable of. We saw what he did in, in League One with Sheffield United a few years back. He knows the lower leagues quite well. He did it with Oxford. He did it with uh, Northampton Town as well. Obviously, he's experienced management in the Premier League, the Championship, but League One, it kind of feels like it could be a, you know, after a pretty rough ride at Middlesbrough and obviously this spell at Watford's not gone according to plan for him. Maybe dropping into League One at the start of a new season, complete reset. He could be a hero at Reading if he gets things moving again. For all the turmoil they've been through, it could he could view that as a as an opportunity to think, look, my my reputation, it's been 
you know, I've been scarred a little bit. Not a lot, just a little bit with how things have gone recently. My last two clubs, complete reset, new club who have got, you know, got to start again. This could be a chance for me to get my career back on track. Whether I'll get the job or not, who knows? Whoever's in that dugout, though, has got an absolutely enormous job on their hands come the summer. The top two both won George Burnley were crowned champions at Turf Moor officially with the trophy unveiling. Ashley Barnes got a swan song and they beat Cardiff City 3-0 with, with relative ease. Barnes got on the score sheet as well with a really nice finish and Burnley broke the 100 points barrier. They have been the best team by a country mile. We've already given them their flowers for this season but rounding off in style um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do next season. Vincent Company signed a new five-year contract this week so speculation about his immediate future. I think for the best, I think it would have been a step too far or a step too early, should I say, in his career to be jumping ship to some of the clubs he'd been linked with higher up in the Premier League. So I think a season with Burnley in the champ in the Premier League after such an amazing season in the Championship is necessary and then see where they're at. But definitely, I think he's a, he's a coach that will end up in a top job at some point. But I think this is the right move for his career ultimately right now. And Burnley signing off with, with a win in style as they have done all season. Yeah, certainly. I think everybody expected that result, didn't they, on, on Monday afternoon. Burnley with a chance to get that landmark 101 points and they achieved it relatively comfortably. Quite fitting that Ashley Barnes signed off with a goal. Captain's armband as well, so a really nice uh, farewell for him. And Burnley, of course, at the end of the afternoon got their hands on the trophy, something that they've thoroughly, thoroughly deserved. They've been, been a pleasure to watch, really. I think they rank as definitely one of the best championship sides we've seen. Certainly in the last decade, I, w- I would go as far as saying possibly even the best, even though Reading fans might argue differently from 05-06. But the, some of the football they've produced has been, it's been staggering at times. And Vincent Company, people are going to continue to chuck the accusation at him, aren't they, that he's had parachute payments, parachute payments FC. As both of us have said throughout the season, we don't buy into that. He completely transformed that football club last summer, changed the style of play an absolute bulk of new signings, majority from overseas. You've still got to weave it all together and make it work. And he did that relatively quickly. And that's been proven with the with the points tally that they've achieved. So really excited to see how they get on in the Premier League. Going to be expectations with company at the helm. And I actually think Burnley will do okay back in the Premier League this time around. I think they can I think they can punch, you know, top twelve, something like that. Around the tenth, twelfth mark. Could they do it? I think they can. They've got a manager who Let's be honest, I, don't think as I think it's early, early I doors to say things I like that when the transfer window's not even open, but I, think, I don't think they're I think the big thing with Vincent Company is he's a winner. He is a winner. You can sense that from him. And of course, the Premier League is a massive step up from the Championship. We've seen it countless times over the years. But I think the big thing that you have to remember with Vincent Company is, yeah, he's not the one playing the game come three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. But as a manager, look who he's learnt from. He has learnt from the very best in Pat Guardiola. And I think, you know, the same can be said for for Michael Carrick at Middlesbrough with the way they've been transformed. He's learnt from Sir Alex Ferguson, Jose Mourinho. Their coaches uh, in their playing careers worked under the very, very best. And in Guardiola, I mean, company couldn't have wished for a better mentor, could he? Let's be honest. So congratulations to Burnley. They've been an absolute privilege to watch. And something tells me, unless this could come back to bite me this time next year, but... I don't think we'll be talking about them for a while. I really don't. I tend to agree. Sheffield United, they beat Birmingham City 2-1 in their final match in the Championship. They'll be Premier League next season too. Really, really 
good season for Paul Heckingbottom side, finishing it off with a good win. Ollie McBurney headed them in front. James McAtee has been a great loan signing as well, really grown into the championship. Um, and I think he'll be playing in the Premier League regardless of where next season too. He he made it 2-0 with a, a good finish. And then uh, Dion Sanderson pulled one back for Birmingham. Sheffield United, not really the story here though, George, because Birmingham City, finally after years of, of pain and, and turmoil, are on the cusp of being taken over by an American businessman. The deal has been agreed with Birmingham for them to buy 45% of the club and 100% of the stadium St Andrews. That still has to be ratified by the EFL and for the fit and proper fit person's test to be passed. But finally, some light at the end of the tunnel for Birmingham City fans. The owners have promised investment. I don't think anyone at Birmingham wants to see them chuck money at it in, in silly terms. But a little bit of hope, which Birmingham haven't had. They've, they've been treading water, let's be honest. They've been trying to keep their head afloat in the championship for so many years. They've not finished in the top flight. Sorry, in the top half of the championship for so many years. In fact, this was their best finish for nine years. I think the numbers were um, finishing in 17th, was it? In the end yeah. for Birmingham? Yeah, 17th. So, hopefully, a real step in the right direction for Birmingham. John used to done a fantastic job with that squad. I had them to finish rock bottom at the start of the season. A lot of that was mainly due to off-field rather than on-field, which I, I did outline in my 1-24s. I was concerned that problems off the field would see them get points deductions as they have in the past and would undermine the squad. The bit of business they did before the end of the window, bringing in the likes of Chong, Bielik, um and Hannibal, they really bolstered the squad and really lifted the ceiling in fairness. And if they can, you know, maybe add, add Bielik, if Derby aren't going up, maybe they can sign Bielik on a, on a permanent transfer. Maybe they can get um, another Manchester United loanee. They've got Chong permanently as well. There's bits to work with in this squad. Austin Trusty's had a fantastic season. John Ruddy, player of the year. So with a bit of investment and, and you know, the right footballing decisions, maybe we could see Birmingham challenging in the top half of the Championship again, which... They're a big club. They're a well-supported football club. And the fans have been through the ringer in the last 10 years since they were relegated from the Premier League. So I would like to see Birmingham have a bit of success and, and finally get an opportunity to, to feel positive about their football club, which I think this season, in fairness, they have. It's probably the first year in a long time they've actually had some optimism about their football club, which they deserve. And this news of the takeover is, is well-earned, in, in truth. Yeah, without a doubt. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? They've been at war with their owners for, for years now, the fans, and they, they've deserved better. They are a really good bunch of supporters at Birmingham City. It's a big club. You know, historically, certainly when me and you were growing up, they, they were a Premier League team. I remember them winning the League Cup back in 2009, 2011, was it, when they beat Arsenal? Was it 2011? 10, I think it was. 10, 11, yeah. I remember that when Obafemi Martins obviously got the goal to, to win it. And, you know, they were a Premier League side back then under the lights of Alex McLeish and Steve Bruce. So they have been through the ringer. They really have. But I think this year, even though the league table doesn't make particularly pretty viewing if you're a Birmingham supporter, I think they've exceeded expectations because of all the backdrop off the pitch. And John Eustace, if you remember, think back all the way to last summer, there was even speculation, wasn't there? Not long after he was appointed, was he even going to start the season with Birmingham? Things were in such a mess. But... He has galvanised a group of players against the backwash of everything that's gone on and done a really, really good job. And I think 
Birmingham City are probably one of the teams that I've seen the most of this season because they've been on Sky that much on Friday evenings. <laughs> they, they've been quite good to watch at times, to be fair. You've mentioned the likes of Chong, Hannibal. They're really exciting players and Hannibal's future at Man United is certainly questionable, I think, ahead of this summer. I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with him. So if there's an, is there, there's an opportunity for Birmingham to re-sign him on loan, perhaps, I think they'll look into that. They do, I think, need to bring the average age of the strike force down. That's something that's got to be done. Troy Deeney, Scott Hogan, Jukovic, as reliable as they often are, they are getting on in their careers now. We can't, You can't deny it. So I think that they need to look at that. They're obviously, Deion Sanderson's going to go back to Wolves. His loan's finished now. What a goal that was, by the way, in Sheffield United on Monday. It was a lovely finish from him, Absolutely. it must be said. A really good finish for a defender. But I think overall, the biggest, potentially, the biggest asset that Birmingham have got, again, we've said it a couple of times already with managers, is John Eustace. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's a fan of the football club. He knows the football club inside out. And I think considering what he's done this year, with a little bit of backing maybe in the summer financially, if that's what's going to be available to him with the new owners, if everything goes to plan, why can't he kick Birmingham on? They've had some good results this year. They've, you know, they've divided expectations at times. They have played some nice football. Obviously, there's been some bumps in the road, but for what club isn't there in a, in a championship season? Everybody experiences bad patches at some stage. But I think overall, to have you know avoided the drop comfortably, let's be fair, comfortably, I think John Eustace has done a really good job. So hopefully for him and the fans, this summer onwards, we'll, we'll have a change in fortunes and they can start looking higher up rather than over the shoulder, which is what they've done for you know the best part of the last decade, really. Three dead rubbers as well, George. Norwich, they lost at home again, which has been the story of their season, to Blackpool. It was Timo Pukki's farewell with the Finn leaving at the end of his contract. Morgan Rogers scored the only goal in this game to give Blackpool victory and, and leave them level, actually, with Reading on 44 points in the final reckoning. Um, Norwich, just not good enough under David Wagner. I would have serious concerns about David Wagner taking Norwich next season, personally. I know he signed a new contract. I certain sorry, I know he signed a long term contract when he came in. I know it's not his squad. That 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 squad needs some real churn. It needs some real turnover. And I've never I wasn't that convinced when they appointed him if if people recall. I've never been that wowed by him. He did a very good job at Huddersfield, of course he did, but what's he done since then? You know, that was that was he's not had a good season in five years probably since he, he kept them up in the Premier League for the first year. So would I be confident of him and Stuart Webber, who's coming for a lot of criticism recently, overseeing that massive change in the squad. Not particularly. I, I'm probably less confident about Norwich being a, a force next season than positive that they'll be right up there and challenging. I would arguably say it's the club that faces the biggest summer of the lot. No, no, that's QPR. Well, I think Norwich have got a hell of a lot of work to do. I've got to be honest. I really do think they've got a hell of a lot of work to do there. Their ending to the campaign was nothing short of disastrous. Let's be honest. I don't know if you saw that statistic on Monday that was doing the rounds, that it was after that defeat to Blackpool, it was the first time in the club's history that they'd gone five home league games without scoring back-to-back. So that is a clear sign of the issues that Norwich have encountered. Obviously, Timo Pukki's farewell was the, was the story of that game on on Monday afternoon, it's a pretty low-key game. Good win for Blackpool, nonetheless, even though obviously it didn't mean anything to them in the end. But for Norwich, massive, massive summer ahead. That squad's been too similar for too long. Stuart Webber, obviously, has come under a hell of a lot of criticism. Sounds like he'll not be there for much longer, to be honest with you. So, what do they do? What do they do in the dugout? What do they do on the pitch? 
I honestly don't know where Norwich go. Do they go for an experienced older head? Do they go for a younger head up and coming? I honestly do not have a clue where Norwich go from this summer because you break down that squad and you look at some of the names in that squad. There are several that have been there for such a long time now. You look at the likes of Tim Krull, Grant Hanley, Ben Gibson, um, I don't know, Kenny McLean. It's, it's too similar. The core of the squad, it's, it's too similar and it's become content with what's happened over the last few years. Norwich would have expected a hell of a lot better this season. And in the end, they finished in the bottom half of the table. They finished 13th. That for a team that, you know, got such high expectations is really, really poor. And David Wagner came in. He had an immediate bounce. He did, didn't he? Beating, obviously, Preston away from home, Coventry away from home by pretty big score lines. But it's been downhill, really, all the way. And in the end, they won two games from the 1st of March. Two matches, in the uh, two wins in the final two months of the season. They, they, they lost four of the last five. They got thumped at Middlesbrough. They were awful that night. They, they were beaten, you know, by Swansea comfortably at home, brushed aside. There's a lot of work at that football club to be done. And personally, I know you said QPR, but I think there's a lot more instability at Carrow Road heading into the summer. At least QPR. That word? Probably not, but I've made it up. We'll use it. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. But no, you know what I meant. I think, let's be honest, Norwich. Who knows who their manager is going to be? At least with QPR, you would expect Gareth Ainsworth to still be in the dugout come the start of next season. I'd be very surprised if he isn't. With Norwich, though, I don't. I don't really think David Wagner is the man to take them forward. I really don't. He's not done enough in the time since he's come in. The season just fell apart at the end in quite dramatic fashion. To be fair, I think they won one of the last eleven games in the end. That is a shocking finale. It really is. But five home games without a goal—that's possibly the most concerning start of the lot. Awful conclusion to what's been a pretty dire season for Norwich. Massive summer ahead. Yeah, QPR, they, we've just been discussing them. They were beaten 2-0 by Bristol City. Um, Gareth Ainsworth not going out with, with a win. He, obviously, they won their last two games to secure safety, but it's not been a brilliant start to his tenure, has it? Let's be honest. I'm fascinated by what QPR looked like next season because I've said all along, I think that this appointment can be right, but they've got to rip up the squad and how they do that whilst getting some sort of value for money for the players that they that, that are assets... I'm not sure. The squad is not built for Gareth Ainsworth. You know, he's got results in the last two games, but they've had less than 20% possession in both of them. So that's not sustainable, is it? Certainly not with this group of players. There's going to be a real turn at QPR. I tell you what, I'll make a prediction now, George. I bet you Neil Warnock's next club is QPR. Well, let's see what happens next February. We'll see. I think in February, I think if, if Warnock's going into a club in February, I bet it's QPR. Former club. No, no, I can already imagine Neil Warnock, because we've not really mentioned Huddersfield, have we, amongst you know all the talk of Reading. We didn't really praise Huddersfield and Neil Warnock. I'm telling you now, Neil Warnock will walk into a club in February, probably with a Zimmer frame at some point, and still do the job. The man is an absolute legend. And let's be honest, we don't, you know, we never mentioned Huddersfield, did we, really, in that segment? What a job he did. Absolutely sensational. But QPR in, you know, nine months or so time? We'll see. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Let's see what sort somewhere. of QPR in after this summer. But I, I think they're, they're the championship team that, for me, I don't know what they'll look like. I'm fascinated what their summer will look like. 
personally. Bristol City won this game. They, 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 I think, will have a good season next year. I think Alex Mometti will have a better season after a full pre-season. Sam Bell's broken in. He scored the second. Mark Sykes got the first in this comfortable win. And whisper it quietly, but defensively, they've been a lot better in 2023. So if they can keep the back door shut, if they can add some, some bodies in the right area, which I think they might be able to spend a little bit more this summer, having sold Antoine Semenyo and not really spent a lot of it. When you think of the attacking options they've got, Vyman, Cornick, Wells, Mametti, um, Conway, they've got options up front. They've got Alex Scott. Certainly Can they have. keep hold of him? And if they don't, they'll have a lot of money to reinvest. So let's see what the squad looks like. But I, I would feel more positive about Bristol City finishing higher than they have this season. Uh, this time next season, we'll finish 14th. I would wager I think Bristol City will finish higher than 14th this time next season. And then finally, George, Watford 2, Stoke City nil. Too little, too late. No idea what's happened with Stoke. I don't even want to talk about Stoke because they just confused me. And we spoke about it last week a little bit, how they've just fallen apart again and finished the season with no momentum whatsoever. That's a big summer for them as well. Watford have already cashed in on Joao Pedro. He's signed for Brighton. I think they'll be doing the same with Ismail Assar. And it's hard to know what the direction they're going to go in until we know who they're appointing. I, I would I would gather it will be a foreign appointment that we've probably never heard of. That doesn't necessarily mean it won't be successful by any means. They've had success in the past going down that route. But I think a bit of a reset for Watford, who, who will have to look and, and cash in on some of those players. One player who I think they will probably keep and someone who I definitely think will be a big player for them is Imran Loser. He's been injured for a lot of this season, but when he has played, he's looked like a quality operator. Lovely left foot. Um, helped to set up the second goal, which Keenan Davies put in. And Watford are going to need to to refresh that forward line. Davies will be going back. I think they'll sell Saar. Joao Pedro's gone. So it'll be interesting to see what, what those two teams look like next season. Who do you think will finish higher next season, Watford or Stoke? Whew, that's a question. Obviously very difficult to answer when you've just mentioned there, as we don't know what the state of either squad's going to look like. We don't know who the manager will be at Watford. So... I think potentially Stoke have got the more stability. You know, even though Stoke's season has fell apart towards the end, we did see flashes around end of February, March time, what they could be capable of. And at that point, you know, they, I was saying there, February, March time, they actually went to Coventry on the 1st of April and won 4-0. That was going to be one of the freak results of the season when you look at how the table finished. So I, I, I think Stoke have got potential to do all right under Alex Neal. It's just a case of how good is the recruitment. There's obviously a lot of low knees in that team that are obviously going to be going back to their parent clubs. What will they do? Where will they go? A few players out of contract as well. But I think if they get it right, I think Alex Neal has got the potential to take them forward because, you know, we saw at Preston, we saw at Norwich, there is a good manager in there somewhere. Two nil nils as well. Uh, Luton Town finished the season 14 unbeaten. They drew nil nil with Hull City and Wigan nil. Rotherham United nil. Probably the biggest story coming out of that is the fact that Wigan again failed to play pay their players on time. So it was a very mis- mismatch starting eleven that that played against Rotherham. Sean Maloney's got plenty to do behind the scenes to get some harmony at that football club for next season. Um, and that rounds off this week's Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Right, George, playoff time. Let's briefly touch on the games coming up. Um, Sunderland-Luton on Saturday is a half-past five kickoff, and Coventry v Middlesbrough is on Sunday at 12 o'clock. Two massive matches 
in the championship. Sunderland's home form, like you know what the, the atmosphere is going to be like at the stadium, like, but the home form's actually not been great, has it? It's the away form that's been really good for, for Sunderland. It's imperative for me they don't they aren't behind going to Kenilworth Road. Yes, it might suit them a little bit more playing on the counter attack, but Luton are also very good at home. It's going to be a really, really tough matchup this one. They obviously finished one all at the stadium of light when the two sides met earlier in the season. Big, big game. I think Sunderland, I'd say they've got to be at least level going to the Kenilworth Road. Yeah, I would agree. And I've literally just drafted up the championship home and away table this season. And I wasn't actually aware of just how poor Sunderland's home record actually was. They only yeah, won seven. Seven of 23. Whereas Luton won 10 of their 23 and took 39 points at home. Interesting, though, away from home. Both of them had excellent records. Luton, 41 points. Sunderland, 39 points. So this could be a really interesting semi-final, this one. I don't think there's a lot between the teams. I really don't. I think Sunderland, the power of the Stadium of Light, could be quite over-roaring potentially for Luton. But Luton went there recently and did get a draw. And they should have won that game, as I mentioned earlier on, with the dodginess of the penalty that Sunderland were awarded. The playoffs for me... There's obviously a lot of talk all the time about who's got the momentum going into them, who, who you know, Sunderland have snuck in, confidence is going to be high. Luton aren't exactly going to be on a downer because they finished third and missed out on automatics because they were never that close to it. So it's not as if they're going to be really down in the dumps of being, you know, needing the playoffs after missing out on autos. So I think it is just a case of who handles the pressure the best in the playoffs. I think that's what it all boils down to. So for me, I think I quite fancy... I think I have to fancy Sunderland on this one. I really do. Certainly the first leg. I think it'll be very tight, possibly even a 1-0 job. Looted at Kenilworth Road, however, we know how good they've been. They're 14 unbeaten as well. But I seriously don't think there's a lot between these two. And I think it's got the potential to be a really tight, cagey, double-headed semi-final. And to be quite honest, I wouldn't mind whoever wins this one because they've both had really good seasons. Both managers have massively overachieved and exceeded expectations. But whoever does do it, you know, they'll, they'll be dreaming of going all the way. I think, the, the you know, the four teams in the playoffs this year, I thought it was quite evenly matched last year when it was Huddersfield, Forest, Sheffield United and Luton. I think this time again, I think there's very little to split the four of them. I think that this is probably likely to be a cagey one-all draw for the first leg and then it comes down to the second, which is kind of what we saw. And we, we can't rule anyone out either because if you remember... Like that Sheffield United-Forest game, we thought Forest were through. And then Sheffield that was United was phenomenal. That's one of the best the playoff games I've ever watched. That yeah, was sensational, was, that second leg. Really I think this will be a draw in the first leg. I think Sunderland, the home funk, it just concerns me in the back of my mind. And I don't I don't know if they'll be able to beat Luton. The, the playoffs maybe. are just so different, they are. aren't they? It's who handles the occasion the best. And playing on the counter-attack will suit them more with the pace they've got with Clark, Allard, Robert. Obviously very different. Sunderland... You know, quite experienced in the playoffs in recent years, albeit at a lower level. Luton were in there last year, probably lessons learnt from that two-legged tie with Huddersfield. Really impossible to split them, I think, at the moment. I think that the closer of the two semi-finals is Coventry and Middlesbrough. Because I think Middlesbrough have probably got the highest ceiling out of all four teams. I think when if all four of these teams are at their absolute best, I think Middlesbrough are the best team. But I also think that they've got a lower floor than some of the other teams and they could easily lose 3-0 in the first leg and leave themselves with too much to do because defensively they are arguably the weakest. Um, certainly I would say Coventry and Luton are stronger defensively. 
this is going to be a really, really good matchup. I'm really looking forward to this one in particular. Um, this is the one that, for me, I, I, I'm really excited about the two games. Giocares versus Linehan, Akpom and Archer versus that back three of McNally, uh, McFadson and Carroll. Ben Wilson, best goalkeeper, best most clean sheets in the championship this season, arguably the best goalkeeper in the championship this season. It's it's there's so many individual jewels all over the pitch. The possession style of Middlesbrough, can they cut loose? Can Coventry get amongst it? Can Gustavo Harmer get a grip hold of this game? Can Giocares get the chances? And can he be clinical? I'm very excited about this one. I think Coventry will beat Middlesbrough in the first leg of this game. I'm not saying they'll go through, but I think one all between Sunderland Luton and first leg. I'm going for a one no, I'm going for a two one Coventry win, I think, in the first leg of this one. Um how do you see it panning out? What are the sort of key areas for you? Well, I think for me personally, I think it's absolutely imperative if Coventry are going to get to the final that they win this first leg. I really do think it is imperative. Of course, it'll be it'll mean three successive games between the two sides. Obviously, played each other on Monday at the Riverside. Both sides this season have been very, very good at home. Middlesbrough 46 points, Coventry 40 points. Away from home, Coventry 30 points, Middlesbrough 29 points. There's literally nothing between these two, really. And, you know, they only ended up being separated, I think, by five points in the end. So it's going to be a really tight affair. Middlesbrough didn't beat Coventry in the regular season, but worth remembering that first game was under Chris Wilder. Coventry won it 1-0 at the uh, Coventry Building Society Arena. When he I think Jokeres, the best player in the league. It was. I think I, I agree with you. I think Middlesbrough, of the two teams, when up and at it, are the better. I think they've got more thrust and more power about them. They've got a wider range of attacking options. Coventry, obviously... You know, certainly in an attacking scenario, obviously, are very reliant on Jokeres. But Coventry, of course, have got midfield depth where players can chip in, particularly Gustavo Hamer. Again, I think there's a you know very little to split them. But I think over the course of the two legs, I would favour Middlesbrough to get I'm through over the two legs. About Middlesbrough more so than I think most their people. For, their form has certainly tailed off. And hasn't I know, it? I know, people will point to the fact that they've took the foot off the gas, and that, I totally appreciate that they've rotated the team, they've took the foot off the gas. But it's very hard to switch it on and off like that. Momentum is so important for the championship. I don't know if you could just turn it on and off like a tap, personally. Yeah, now, they possibly. Could go and I mean, beat, they could easely lose at Coventry and then go beat them 5-0 at the Riverside. That could oh, happen. Oh, they could do. Of course I could. I could easily see that happening as well. I really but could. I am I concerned you know, a little bit about them defensively. Yeah. The clean you know, sheets are a big problem. Back either. I don't think Force or Aaron Ramsey are going to be fit for the first leg based on what character yeah. they in. That's the thing. So if you not actually Middlesbrough look at... full tilt. And Middlesbrough full, not no. a full tilt could get caught out by Coventry, I think. They could do. And I'm just looking at the, the, the recent results of Borough now. And they've only kept two clean sheets since the end of February. That's, you know, that's a trend. Because Middlesbrough, even though they've scored a lot of goals, and I think only Burnley in the end scored more than them, they do have a tendency to concede. You know, nine times out of ten, they are going to concede in a game. They do struggle for clean sheets. So that's where Coventry were looking at. And they've got one of the most one of the most lethal strikers in the division. You know, Middlesbrough, they've got two of the most lethal attackers in the division in Archer and in Akpom. So both players have got dangerous attackers at each end of the pitch. So I just think the big thing for, for Middlesbrough though is they've ended the regular season with two wins, I think, in the last eight games. They failed to win the last three. Coventry on the flip side lost one of their last seventeen. So it's a remarkable run to take into the playoffs. 
But like I said, I think it all boils down to who can handle the occasion the best. This situation is relatively new for both teams. It's been a while since they've been involved in a playoff battle, certainly at championship level, especially for Coventry City, of course. I honestly believe this, like the other semi-finals, could go either way. I think there is genuinely very, very little to split them. But if I had to, you know, if I had my head on the block and say who would advance the final from this two-legged game, I would go for Middlesbrough over two legs. And what but about Luton and Sunderland? I think Sunderland over two legs in that one. So I, I would think a Sunderland Borough final. However, I think Coventry could win that first leg at their own place on Sunday. But like you said, Borough, they have got the ability to turn it on. And we saw it against Norwich not long ago. But of course, Coventry are a much better team than Norwich are. The occasion's very different. It's Nothing compares to the playoffs. When you're not involved in them, they are the best thing in the world. When you're involved in them, either as a player or as a fan, they are absolute torture. Just as me and you are going to find out later this week with the League One playoffs, we're dreading that already. But the Championship playoffs, as a neutral, I, I can't wait for them. There's nothing quite like it. It's going to be great. But if I had to predict a final now, I'm going Sunderland versus Middlesbrough. I find it interesting because I'm more most confident about Luton getting through, and obviously you think Sunderland beat him. I, I think Luton are, I think Luton Sunderland. Really interesting. Be, I don't think Luton Sunderland will be as close as Coventry Middlesbrough personally. I think Luton will have too much for Sunderland. I think they'll be able to grind them out, maybe a one-all draw at, at the Stadium of Light, and then they can beat them at Kenilworth Road personally. I think it might be a step too far for what is a very young and injury hit Sunderland squad. As much as I praised them earlier in the podcast, I do think they're vulnerable to a very physical and a very good Luton team that can just play in so many different ways in a 14 games unbeaten. I fancy Luton to get through to the final. I, I Honestly, I could flip a coin on Coventry Middlesbrough. I actually think... I might. And I think I'm more convinced about that one. I, I might just edge for Coventry because I'm just concerned about whether Middlesbrough... Still. And I think Middlesbrough... Everyone at full tilt, I think Middlesbrough are the best team of the four. But well, this is very interesting right now. I don't we've, think they are. We've both named complete different finals. So, Judge, so who's going to get promoted? Bloody hell, he's putting you've me got, on the spot. Got, so, who's going to win out of out of Middlesbrough and Sunderland for you? I've got a sneaky feeling Sunderland are going to do it. Do I've got a feeling that they might just go the distance. And I've looked at the latest odds this morning as we record on, on Tuesday morning, and Sunderland are the outside favourites. As you'd expect, finishing in sixth spot, they are the outside bet. But I just I just have a sneaky feeling that they might just spring a surprise. And if they were to go the distance, if they do, it would be an unbelievable story. Literally 12 months ago, they were in League One to go straight through and up. And I was trying to think last night, and I've not researched it, so if I'm wrong, I do apologise. Who was the last team to jump from League One to the Premier League in two seasons? I want to say Southampton in 2011-2012. That's as far as I can remember. I think, I think it was the I think it was the Saints. But I think I, I fancy Sunderland. Norwich I think they've got. It, but I think Norwich did it. Yeah, that was before, the year before. But... Yeah, I think that was the season before. So yeah, I think it was Southampton. But you know, whatever happens, all four teams fully deserve to be in there. They, they've had excellent seasons. And when you think about where Middlesbrough came from, where Coventry came from, it's remarkable, really. It's only really living Luton that have been up there most of the season. And they didn't even get there till sort of Christmas time, which is remarkable. So it's a really, really interesting playoff battle, this one. And and who knows which way it's going to go. You I know, wouldn't like to say. Sunderland were to go the distance, 
it would be a fabulous achievement. However, I do think there is very little to split the four of them. I think it could go any way. I think all four teams have they've exceeded their expectations this year. You know, we I think we both had Luton in and around the top six. Can't remember if you put them in there. I think I, I had them just in the there, three. I I think I might have had them in seventh, maybe just outside. So, you know, they've they've taken another huge stride from last year, from sixth up to third. They, they've got a good chance. They'll fancy their chances. They have to. They've had an excellent season. But all four managers, regardless of how the season ends for each of them, they've all done tremendous jobs and can hold their heads high. I mean, from a personal perspective, I do think Sunderland, Middlesbrough final, but I think Luton they're the ones that would deserve it based on the league table. They deserve it. You know, they're, they're the third best team. It should be the way it works. But of course, football doesn't work like that, as Huddersfield found out last year. But we will see. It's going it's to be interesting. But I fancy a Sunderland versus Borough final, which will be uh, rather interesting. I think Luton will get promoted. I, I could flip a coin over Coventry Middlesbrough who will play them, but I think Luton will get over the line. I think they've got the ability to play both sides of the game. The 14 unbeaten. They've got momentum. They've had a chance to rest key players, but not for too long in the way that I'm concerned a little bit about Middlesbrough. I still think that they're still at their top form. So I'm going to edge for Luton at the top of uh, to get promoted to the Premier League, which would be a phenomenal story, um, considering where they've come from, the real blueprint of the oh, EFL. And, and Coventry the same as well, let's not forget. you know Absolutely. They were in League 2 not long ago. Sunderland were in League 1 for four or five years. You know, it's, it's quite a remarkable story for each of them this season I think to be fair so let's see what happens but it's going to be interesting that's for sure that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat Podcast thank you for listening tweet us at Champ Chat Pod and let us know what you think the playoff final is going to look like who's going to be victorious and who will be promoted make sure you are subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from as well leave us a review tell exactly one friend about the podcast if you've enjoyed it we hit 10k Follow us on Twitter, so a big thank you for the support this season. And of course, we're going to have plenty more playoff content to follow in the next coming weeks, building up to that big final on Saturday, the 27th of May. Big thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cars Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. And hopefully, you'll have a great week, and we'll speak again very soon for some analysis on the playoff action. <laughs>